Hey, and that's why we exist. It's, it's for what's happening today. This is First Step Weekend, and uh, six people are making their first step in journeying with Jesus to become more like him. And that's, and that's what we're all about uh, here, and that's why we do what we do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this sermon by letting you know what the end is. I'm just going to let you know where we're headed. Spoiler alert. So if you've got to leave, uh, you'll know exactly what the point is. Here's my goal is that at the end of this sermon, if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, to be baptized into him, that you'll make that decision today. And I know you came to church and maybe you weren't planning on making that decision, but I've come to interrupt your regularly scheduled Sunday to help you arrive at a point where you know what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to him. And we have six people planned when it comes to getting baptized today, but we can always add to that number. And that's the hope. My goal also is if you have said yes to Jesus, if you have been baptized into him, you'll better understand what baptism is so that as you're talking with your friends and as you're sharing the good news with them and talking about how God is changing your life, you'll be able to explain to them how to say yes to Jesus and accept him and enter into relationship with him. So that's where we're headed. That's the end of the sermon. But in order for us to get there, uh, I need to take you back 3,500 years ago to an event that took place in ancient Egypt. And we're going to visit Moses, and we're going to visit the ancient Israelites. And also, on our way back 3,500 years ago, we're going to make a pit stop about 1,900 years ago, where we're going to read from this letter that was written to a bunch of Christians in the ancient Roman city of Corinth. And so, and so that's where we're headed. Now, 3,500 years ago, I want to give you some context about where, where we're going. 3,500 years ago, um, the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And then God talks to this guy named Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to lead my people, Israel, out of Egyptian captivity. Moses says, I don't know if I can do it. God says, of course you can. I'm with you. And so Moses says yes, and he, he goes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he says, uh, hey, Pharaoh, God says, let his people go. And Pharaoh declines to accept the invitation to allow his free labor force go. He says, I'm, uh, I'm not doing it. And so Moses says, okay, God is going to send 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt to help convince you to let them go. And once you let them go, the plagues will stop. And so Pharaoh says, okay, have at it. And so plagues begin to take place in Egypt. God sends these plagues. And one of the plagues, the second plague that God sends is a plague of frogs. And he fills the land of Egypt with frogs. Egypt is teeming with frogs. They're all over the place. They're in people's kitchen and bathroom and living room. They're all over the place. You've got to move frogs in order to walk. And then Pharaoh has had enough of the frogs, so he says to Moses, Hey, would you pray that God would get rid of these frogs? And Moses said, Sure, no problem. God wants to remove the frogs. He's able to remove the frogs. He's willing to remove the frogs. Let me know when you want me to pray for God to remove the frogs. And Pharaoh says tomorrow. That'd be a good sermon for somebody to preach, wouldn't it? About, about talking about how there are these things in our lives that we put off till tomorrow, what we should do today. We often procrastinate. We, that'd be a good sermon. Probably, probably title it tomorrow. For, the, for those of you who are like, wait, why are people laughing? I preached on that two weeks ago. Some of y'all forgot already. It's okay. But Pharaoh says, I'm not letting them go, and then the plagues persist, and eventually Pharaoh's had enough of it. He says, fine, get these people out of here. And so Moses leads the nation of Israel, about a million people, out of Egyptian captivity, and they, and they leave partying and celebrating, and then they come to the Red Sea. 
and they can't cross the Red Sea. The Red Sea is in front of them. It's stopping them, so they stop and they camp out at the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh realizes what he's done. He doesn't have free labor anymore. He changes his mind. He says, we got to go get our slaves. He gets his army, and they begin to pursue the Israelites. And then God parts the sea. They cross through the sea on dry ground. But I want to show you this letter from 1900 years ago where Paul, this early church planter, this church starter, wrote to the Christians in Corinth explaining this event that we're about to read about. He said this, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. And so this is what Paul is referring to, this event, this instance that we're about to read right here in Exodus chapter 14. Look at what it says. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. He'll bring it to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Well, because there's an army behind us. There's a sea in front of us. We don't know what to do. He said, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Come on, Moses, you didn't think of this? Like, this, this is God's response. Imagine Moses like, oh, okay, I'll do that. So then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it and to dry land. Real quick, before I move on, I want to point out, God could have done it without using Moses to stretch out the staff, but God wanted Moses to get involved. Oftentimes, the thing we're waiting on God to do, God is waiting on us to do. Did you write that down? <laughs> Oftentimes, the thing we're waiting on God to do, God is waiting on us to do. And God said, okay, I need you to take a step first, and then I'll do the rest. Stretch out your hand. He stretches out his hand. The waters were divided. Verse 22, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them. And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. All right. Here's what we just read. Israel was fleeing Egypt. God parts the Red Sea and they go down into the sea on dry ground. They go down into the sea and then they come up out of the sea. They go down into the sea and they come up 
out of the sea. And Paul, in this letter that we just read from 1900 years ago, Paul likens what happened with them to baptism now. And so I want to take you to Bible college real quick. What we see in these two instances is a type and an antitype. Type and an antitype. A type is something that happens in the past, back then, that is a representation, that is a foreshadowing of something in the future, something to come, something that will happen. And so the type here is the nation of Israel going down into the Red Sea and coming out of it. Paul says that is what happens in baptism. What Paul does, and so the type is the, the Israelites going down into the Red Sea and coming out. The antitype is baptism when we go down into the water and we come back out of it. So what Paul is doing is he's linking baptism today to what happened with the Israelites back then. So you and I can look at what happened 3,500 years ago with the Israelites and understand better what happens when somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus and they're baptized into him. And so we're going to look back to see what happened with the Israelites to see what happens here and now when we make the decision to get baptized. And so I want to give us the proper context first before we pull apart some of what takes place in baptism. Here's what we need to understand and here's what we need to see. Israel was held captive in slavery just like we are. So before going into the Red Sea, they were held captive in slavery just like you and I are. Romans chapter 6 verse 20 says this, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Righteousness didn't have any control of you when you were a slave of sin. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. See, like, like Israel was held captive in slavery, you and I are held captive in slavery to sin. And, and, and here's what sin is. Sin is everything that we do wrong that causes us to hurt ourselves, to hurt other people. The, the, the Greek word for sin is hamartia. Hamartia is an archery term that was used when an archer would miss the bullseye. They would miss the mark. And so they're aiming for the mark. They miss the mark. That's hamartia. That's sin. And so you and I, when we miss the mark of God's perfection, of his standard of holiness, when we miss God's mark, we sin. And you've experienced this. You know, you don't need me to teach you on this. You know, every time you've hurt yourself, every time you've, you've hurt somebody else, every time you've chosen to go your own way instead of God's way, that's sin. And we do this all the time. God, I think I know better than you in my life. And so I'm going to let you handle the rocks and the trees and the birds and the creation and all that stuff. But when it comes to sex and sexuality, I think I know better and I'll handle that. That's sin. God, I'm going to let you handle the rivers and the streams and, and, and think about the universe and all that stuff. But when it comes to my finances, I think I know better, so I'm just going to do that. When it comes to my identity, when it comes to who I am, when it comes to how I interact with people, when it comes to my work, when it comes to my job, when it comes to my family, when it comes to me, I'm going to do me. And you do you, God. When we do that, when we choose to go our own way, we rebel against God. We push back against God, and that's sin. And what that does is it causes shame and regret and remorse in our life. That's, that's what he says. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? When you choose to follow God and you go his way, you won't ever be ashamed of any of it. 
You won't regret any of it. You won't have guilt around any of it. But the guilt that you carry, the shame that we carry, the remorse that we have all comes from things we decided to do when we went our own way instead of God's way. It happens every time. And then he explains this, that our sin results in death. Our sin results in death. Now, death is separation. That's all it is. Death is separation. Death is when our life is separated from our body. It's when our breath is separated from our body. And so what we see in the scriptures, and the scriptures just explain the stuff we already know, but it just kind of puts words to it and, it, and it gives us concepts to better understand, gives us handles to grab onto. What we see in the scriptures is what we already know, is that when we sin, it leads to death, it leads to separation. And you felt that, haven't you? I felt that. When you're engaged in sin, when that addiction keeps getting the better of you, when you're in that relationship you know you shouldn't be in, when you've made that decision that you know isn't the best, but you're going your own way, you might afterwards describe the feeling that you have as being far from God. I don't feel like God is very close right now. I hear this story all the time as people come to church and they've been living their own way and they say, man, I, I, I hit rock bottom, or maybe you haven't hit rock bottom, maybe your life isn't devastated, but you just feel this, this distance from God, like where is God? It's because of our sin that there's this separation between us and God. And I wanna help you better understand this, God isn't the one who moved away, it's us. When we sin, when we go against God, we walk away and there's separation that's created. And each and every one of us is guilty of this. Each and every one of us have this on our track record. But here's, here's what we find in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so because of our sin, because we rebel against God, because we go our own way, there's a separation that takes place. What it says and what we just read is that the wages of sin is death. And so a wage is something that you earn. It's something that we deserve. And so I work all week. What I earn, what I deserve is my pay at the end of the week. Those are my wages. I've earned those things because of my work. What you and I earn what you and I deserve, because at points in our life, maybe even now, we've said, I want to go my own way instead of God. What we deserve, what we earn is separation from God, and that's a problem, because you and I were created to be in relationship with God. And God is our creator. He's our heavenly father. He knows what's best. It's only through God that we can really discover the more we were made for. You can't do it on your own. And so when we're separated from him, that's why we often have this longing, this feeling like there's got to be more. That's why we feel stagnant. That's why we get bitter. That's why all these things, when we're separated from God, we're not living in peace. Peace is wholeness. It's complete wholeness. And what you and I deserve, because of our decisions, because of what we've done, because we're just messed up, is death, is separation from God. That's what we deserve. That's what you've earned. Me too. Same here. But just like God redeemed Israel, God redeems us. And he makes a way for us to be forgiven and have life. And that's what we just read. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so God gives us the gift of life. 
How does he do this? I want to show you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ, Jesus, suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. 1 John 2, 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Hebrews 10, 10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And what all this means is that Jesus, God himself, put on flesh and he lived among us and he lived a perfect life. It's a life you and I can't live. And then he went to the cross and he died the death that we deserve. And when Jesus went to the cross, what he did in some supernatural way is he took your sin and my sin on himself. And so as he hung there on the cross, he bore the weight of the sin of the world. He was covered in our sin before we even did it in some supernatural way. He, he carried our sin on the cross. And remember, the wages of sin is death. Death is separation. There's this point on the cross where Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's this moment where Jesus is on the cross and he's separated from God, his heavenly father. He can't feel him anymore. He's all alone. The reason is because he took your sin and my sin on himself. And because he carried our sin on the cross, he became separated from God for a moment. Because that's what our sin does. It separates us from God. So he endured that separation so we don't have to. And then when Jesus died on the cross, our sin died with him. All the, all the, 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 the things you regret, all the hurt, all the pain, all the shame, all the remorse, everything you've ever done, all the, the things that still live in your mind and in your memory that you go back to and you say, that's who I am and, and that's my identity and that's what I did, all of that stuff that you still live under the shadow of, Jesus killed it on the cross. So you don't have to live in that anymore. For some of you, you might not understand that because you're, you've said yes to Jesus, you've been baptized into him, but you're still living under the weight of your sin. And Jesus got rid of it, so you don't have to live that way anymore. So Jesus takes our sin on the cross, and when Jesus dies, our sin dies. And, when, and, and this is the gift from God, but a gift works like any other gift, and you know how gifts work. Because in order for a gift, to be yours, you have to receive it. You have to accept it. And so what you earn is sin. What you deserve is, is death, right? The gift of God is eternal life. But in order for you to receive that gift, you have to reach out and grab hold of it and accept it as yours. I could have a gift wrapped for you with your name on it and it's underneath the Christmas tree. But until you grab hold of it, unwrap it and claim it, it's not yours. There's times I'll send $5 gift cards to people through email, and I'll get an email from Starbucks saying, hey, the, the gift card has been delivered, but the person hadn't opened it yet. And so since they haven't opened it yet, it's not theirs. I've paid for it, but it's just sitting there unused in the same way. Jesus has paid for your sin. He's gotten rid of it, but some of us have left the gift laying there. We haven't accepted it yet. The way we accept the gift is by believing that Jesus died for us on the cross and he rose again from the dead. 
The way we accept the gift is because we believe that, we then make him the leader of our life. Jesus, what you say goes. The way we accept that is because we believe, because we've made him the leader of our life, we're then baptized into him, lowered down into the water, coming up brand new. And this is exactly what we see and what happens with the Israelites. Thank you. This is what we see with the Israelites. And this is what happens in baptism. So here's what we see looking at the example from Israel. First, when we're baptized, our sins are washed away. When we're baptized, our sins are washed away. I want to show you first in Exodus with the Israelites, and then I want to show you here and now in baptism. See, when Israel fled from Egypt, they went down into the water. Somebody say, down into the water. Say it with me. Down into the water. The Israelites went down into the water. And something else went with them. Do you remember what it was? Here, look. We'll, we'll read it. Exodus 14, 23. The Egyptians pursued them. And all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. So the Israelites and the Egyptians went down into the water, but the Israelites came up out of the water. Somebody say that, up out of the water. One more time, up out of the water. But do you remember what didn't come up out of the water? Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. Here's what you need to understand. Everything that belonged to God came up out of the water. And everything that didn't belong to God stayed in the water. The Israelites and the Egyptians both went down into the water, but only the Israelites came out. And so in baptism today, when you get baptized, you and your sin go in, but you come out. Your sin stays in. So you don't have to live in that regret anymore. You don't have to live in that shame anymore. You don't have to live in that addiction anymore. You don't have to live in the despair anymore. Because when you get baptized, that stayed in the water. You left it there. You don't have to take it with you and carry it and live in it. You're free. So in baptism... Our sins are washed away. Acts 2 or Acts 22:16. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Acts 2:38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, everything that belongs to God comes out. Everything that doesn't stays in. And some of you have been carrying this around for a long time. And God wants to set you free and redeem you and get rid of it for you. 
And that means you need to make the decision to say, Jesus, I'm tired of living on my own. Even if you believe in Jesus, even if you said a prayer when you were 12 or 22 years old, if you've never been baptized, you're still carrying that stuff around. And God wants to get rid of it. He wants to leave it in the water so that you can be freed and redeemed. And if you have made the decision to be baptized, can I tell you, please stop going back to the water and taking out what God left in. You're free. So we see this. The next thing we see, so our sins are washed away. The second thing we see in baptism is that we're adopted by God. When you make the decision and you're baptized into, into God, you're adopted by God. See, according to Pharaoh, Israel was his slave. Exodus 14, 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and we've lost their services. Translation, we let our slaves go. We got to go get them back. See, before the Israelites passed into the water, they were seen as slaves by Egypt, seen as slaves by Pharaoh. But God saw them differently. Here's how God saw Israel. Exodus 4, 22. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. God sees Israel as son, Pharaoh sees them as slaves. And so Pharaoh says, that's my slave. God says, no, that's my son. Pharaoh said, they belong to me. God said, no, they belong to me. Pharaoh said, but I paid for them. God said, no, no, you don't understand. I paid for them. Pharaoh said, I'm going to go get my slave. God said, I'm going to deliver my son. And if you hadn't made the connection yet, there's that same conversation going on about you today. Because your enemy, the devil, is saying, you're my slave. I got you. You belong to me. You're a slave to sin, so you belong to me. God is saying about you, no, that's my son. That's my daughter. And I paid the price for them with the life of my son Jesus on the cross. I've redeemed them. You have a conversation happening about you right now. And the question is, will you be a slave or a son? When you make the decision to be baptized into Christ, the slave goes in, but the son comes out. That's what happens with the Israelites. They're being pursued by Pharaoh. They're being pursued by Egypt. We got to get our slaves back. But when they go down into the water and they come back up, they are now sons and are delivered and are free. And I got to let you know this. If you continue to try and free yourself, of, apart from Jesus, apart from saying yes to him, apart from being baptized, immersed into him, coming up out of the water, you will always have a slave master pursuing you. Well, I'm, I'm going to try and be good enough. I'm going to try and be nice enough. I'm going to try and forgive myself. I'm going to try and, you can try all you want, but as long as you continue to try until you submit to Jesus being your leader and you're baptized into him, you will always have a slave master pursuing you. It's only in baptism that we go in as slaves and emerge as sons and daughters. Israel was finally free after they emerged from the Red Sea. Here's, here's what we see in Galatians 3.23. It explains it this way. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak until the way of faith was revealed. 
Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It, it protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And so before the water, they were still slaves. Pharaoh pursued them. After the water, they were sons and daughters of God. They were free. So in baptism, we're adopted by God. We become his sons and daughters. Our sins are washed away. And finally, I'll share this with you, that in baptism, we're raised to new life. Because in baptism, we die to our old self, and we rise up to be made completely new in Christ. See, after the water, Israel went from forced labor to fulfilled living. They went from being fearful fugitives to finally free. They entered into a whole new life, and it was out with the old, in with the new. This is what happens in baptism, Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That... There's this question, should we go on living as slaves now that we're free and redeemed? And sometimes we do this, and the Israelites did this. They went down into the water slaves. They emerged as sons, but there were times where they looked back to their past, and they remembered how things were. They reminisced on how things were, and they thought how good it might be to go back. What more shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's how you used to be. Don't be that way anymore. There's this moment, it's crazy for the Israelites, after they passed through the Red Sea, Exodus 16, 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the free community. The community that was no longer slaves anymore in Egypt are grumbling. You just got your freedom, what are you grumbling about? Man, how quick, how quick. Can we get distracted and sidetracked and focus on things that don't even matter? The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, back in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you got beat. You weren't free. You were slaves. So you'd rather have some Texas brisket and get beat? Well, at least we got to eat all we want. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Sometimes what happens is we look back. So this is for those of you who have made the decision to say yes to Jesus, to be baptized into him. Sometimes what happens is we look back at how we used to be and we think about all oh, the good times. And, but, or, or we look back. And we allow what happened in our past to prevent us from living in our present so that we never fulfill the future God has for us. Did you catch all that? Sometimes we look back in our past and use that as an excuse to prevent us from living in our present, which then leads us to living out the future God has called us to fulfill. I'll say it this way. We refer back to our past, oftentimes to provide an explanation as to what's preventing us from living in the present God has placed us in. And that prevents us from fulfilling the future he's calling us to. But you don't understand. I didn't have a dad when I was growing up. 
but, but you don't understand, I can't do that now. Yes, I've been set free. Yes, I've been redeemed. Yes, I have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in me, but I can't do that because I didn't get good grades in school. You don't understand because back then I used to, and we allow what happened back then to prevent us from living in the present so that we never fulfill the future God has called us to. Are you using excuses from the past to stop you now? You're free. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to give in to that anymore. You don't have to do that because you always did that or because that was your example or that was what you saw. You can live differently. Because you're free. You're redeemed. You're on this side of the water. Unless, of course, you're not. And you need to make the decision today to say, I'm going in so that I can come out free. We got baptisms at 1230. You got plenty of time to go home, get you a bathing suit, get you a towel, get ready. We'll give you the information where it is. We're going to do a pool party afterwards, cook out, all of it. We're celebrating. We got six people getting baptized today. I think we can make it more. I want to, I got to finish my sermon first, though. Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, 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 no. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know? That all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We are therefore buried with him through baptism. When you're baptized, you're lowered down in the water. We're buried with him. We're buried with him. We're buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. In baptism, we die to who we used to be and we're raised to new life in Christ. You are brand new after baptism. You are brand new, brand new. Not, not fixed, brand new. Real quick, we need to understand this, that none of this happens because of our effort. None of this happens because we're good enough. None of this happens because we try hard enough. None of this happens on our own effort. It's all a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's because Jesus gives us the opposite of what we deserve. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took your sin and my sin on himself so that when he died, our sin died with it. We don't deserve it, but it's a gift that's freely given. And when you're baptized, it's not something you're doing. It's not a work on your own. It's a work God is doing in you. When you get baptized, you just stand there. And somebody grabs you. And they lower you down. You don't lower yourself down. They bring you up. And in this process, God does a work in you where your sins are washed away. And his spirit comes to live within you. There's nothing magical in the water. There's nothing magical about the person who baptizes you. 
Baptism is this act of submission saying, God, I'm going to make you the leader of my life and I'm going to let you do your work in me so that I can be made brand new. See, when it comes to someone's life who becomes a Christian, believing, following, and being immersed in Jesus, there's this theme that's echoed all throughout the New Testament of how you used to be, how you used to be, how you used to be. Colossians 3, 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Baptism is a new birth. It's a brand new life. Ephesians 2, 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. If you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, to be immersed into him, you're dead. You're the walking dead. I know you're breathing. I know you think you're alive. But you're not fully alive. Until Jesus removes your sins and gives you his spirit to live in you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 4.20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, there's this moment of demarcation in life. Just like in the calendar, there's a before Jesus and an after Jesus. Our calendar is broken up. It's split in the middle there. Just like in your married life, there was this, I used to not be married, but now I am married. There was this moment where everything changed. Just like in being a parent, there was this, I used to not be a parent, and now I got these crazy kids. There's this moment that changes everything. And there's a moment in life where you pass from slave to son, from slave to daughter, where you pass from slave to free, where you pass from dead to alive. There's this moment of demarcation in your life, and that moment happens when you're lowered down into the water and you come up brand new. I wonder, have you made that decision? Have you had that happen for you? Is there a how you used to be and how you are now? Have you made that decision? Have you stepped across the line? Have you taken that first step in your journey? If not, what are you waiting for? Today is the day, not tomorrow, not the next day, not next week. Today is the day. So, if you need to make that decision, I want to invite you to do that today. I didn't plan on this, and I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if it'll work. We'll see what happens. If you know you need to make the decision to say yes to Jesus and be baptized into him, I want to explain this. You don't have to be perfect. None of us are perfect. You're not going to be perfect after you say yes to Jesus. But if you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, and because of that belief, you want to make him the leader of your life, and you want to get baptized, passing from death to life, 
I'm gonna give you an opportunity in a moment to stand to your feet. Right now your heart is beating fast, I'm talking to you. Like as the adrenaline started pumping, you're like, oh dear God, I know he's talking to me, but I don't wanna stand up. Yeah, you need, that's you. We never do this. I don't even know if I should do, I don't even know if anybody's gonna stand up. Might be an ultimate fail, we'll see. But we wanna celebrate with you. Here's who should make that decision. If you've never been baptized, but you believe Jesus died for you on the cross and he rose again from the dead, and you're ready to make him the leader of your life, that's you. If you were baptized as a baby, your parents meant well for you, but that wasn't a decision you made. It's time for you to step in the fulfillment of that decision they made for you and make that decision for yourself. Maybe you got baptized when you were six, seven, 12, I don't know, but you didn't know what you were doing. You got baptized because your parents told you to or everybody else was doing it or your parents said, hey, if you get baptized, we'll get ice cream afterwards. You're like, cool, I want Rocky Road. I don't know. If you made this, if you got baptized but you didn't know what you were doing, you just kind of, today's the day. So we're not gonna have the music get all big and loud and create this moment. I just, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna count to three. And when I count to three, if that's you, we're not gonna point and laugh at you. We're not gonna make fun of you. We wanna celebrate with you. We do all of what we do, everything you see, all this setup, everything, for this moment here and now, for you to make this decision. So we wanna celebrate with you, if that's you. Your heart is racing, you're talking yourself out of it. You're like, I'm not gonna stand, I'm not gonna stand. I'm not. You need to stand. Here we go. If you need to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, when I count down from three, two, and one, I want you to just stand to your feet. Three, two, one. If that's you, Today's the day. Today's the day. Today's the day. Yeah. Today's the day. Good. You guys can go ahead and take your seat. Thanks so much.